When you hear the word worship, what often comes to mind? Maybe it's this here. Place of worship, like a church. Or how about a person of worship? A worship leader, or even this, a style of worship. Whether it be contemporary or a more traditional form of worship. Truth is, all of us have certain things, most if not all of us, have certain things that come to mind when thinking about worship. But though that's the case, though all of us think about and talk about worship and feel as if it's important, though we have strong opinions about how it should look and how it should be done, the problem is too few of us have been equipped from God's Word on worship. We're continuing our sermon series this morning entitled, We Are Fellowship. And uh, this morning we are going to talk about worship. You remember last week we uh, talked about how we are all about making disciples. And I shared with you that, that all of us, all of God's people, Every church should be all about this because that's the great assignment that Christ left us, that we as believers and as a church are to be making disciples. And, and I shared with you, that's exactly what our, mission, what our mission statement says. So if you would, look at it with me up here on the screen again and read along with me. It says this, Fellowship Bible Church exists... For the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. And we discussed last week from Ephesians 4 that this is the place where that happens, the church. The church is the place where you come to know Christ, where you come to learn about Him. It's the place where you grow in your knowledge of Him. It's the place where you get equipped to use the gifts God has given you for the purpose of ministry. And it's the place where you do ministry. The church is very important. Congregational life is very important because it's the very means by which we mature as followers of Christ. Well, this morning... And for the next few weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you how the ministries of our church help us accomplish these three things, escorting, establishing, and equipping. I'm going to show you how the ministries of our church that we have in place, I'm going to show you how if you will commit to do those things, if you will get plugged in, and take part in these ministries. I'm going to show you how these ministries can help you grow up in Christ. This morning, we're going to talk about what we do in here on Sunday morning. We're going to talk about worship. We at Fellowship are all about worship. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 24 this morning. And what I'm going to do this morning is this. I'm going to assume that you already believe worship is important. I believe that many of you do, like I said earlier. I believe if I went around the room, most everybody would say in some way you value worship. 
So I'm not going to try to convince you this morning from God's word that worship is important because I assume you're already there. What I'm going to do this morning is I am going to attempt to show you from God's word what worship is and the right and wrong way to view worship. So let's get into it here. Here's the first principle from John 4. Number one, to worship God correctly, we need to be equipped appropriately. Let's go to John 4. This is a story of Jesus and the woman at the well. In this text, we're told in the first few verses that Jesus and his disciples, they went to Samaria to a town called And uh, it was near the uh, plot of ground that Jacob had given to Joseph. And there was a well there, and it was called Jacob's Well. And Jesus, when he arrived there, he was tired and thirsty, so he sat down near this well, and we're told it was about the sixth hour. That's where we're going to pick up. Look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you ask, that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So Jesus is sitting here by the well, and this Samaritan woman comes up, and Jesus just strikes up a conversation with her says, give me a drink. And this took this woman off guard. I mean, she was shocked. And I'll tell you why. One, because Jesus was a man and she was a woman. Now, we don't think much about when we're out in public seeing men and women talking together in public. But in this day, it it was not seen at all. I mean, it was considered to be inappropriate, especially for for unmarried people, a man and a woman to be talking together in public. So this took her by surprise. Second reason she was shocked is because Jesus is a Jew and she is a Samaritan. And these two groups did not care for one another one bit. They didn't. There was such an intense hatred between these two groups of people that it's said that that many of the Jews, they would bypass Sychar altogether and take the long route just to avoid having to associate with the Samaritans. I mean, this was an intense hatred. So this shocks her. A Jewish man is talking to her, a woman from Samaria. And the third reason this woman is shocked is because Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, let me tell you why this would have been shocking. When Jesus says, give me a drink, what he's saying to this woman is, give me a drink with what you have. Well, guess what? If someone would have seen Jesus, a Jewish person would have seen Jesus in this day drinking from the cup of a Samaritan woman, they would have considered Jesus ceremonially unclean. So this woman is sitting here thinking to herself, what in the world is going on? I have this Jewish man speaking to me, a Samaritan woman, and asking me for a drink. 
This would have been very shocking for anyone, and it was shocking for her. And then to make matters even more shocking, you know what we find about this woman as we read on in the text? This is not just any woman, is it? It's an adulterous woman. Some believe that's the reason why she was there at noon. You see, in, in those days, the women, like they probably would today, they go in the morning or the evening to draw water because it's a cool part of the day. This woman is there at noon. So she's showing by being there at noon, she is a social outcast and possibly even an immoral person, which we find out that she was. So just the fact that Jesus is, is talking to this woman is, is, and, and having a conversation with her is very shocking. Let's read on. Let's look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus asks this woman for a drink, and she says, I can't believe that you're asking me for a drink. And Jesus responds by saying, if you really knew me, if you really knew who I was, you would not have waited for me to ask you to give you a drink, but you would have come to me and ask me for a drink. And now the woman is really confused. She's thinking, okay, why would I ask you for a drink when you don't have anything to draw water with and the well is deep? What is Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about physical water, is he? He's talking about something much bigger much greater than that. He's talking about spiritual water. He's talking with this woman here about salvation. He says here, the water you're drinking, though it's good water, and though it'll satisfy, quench your thirst for a little while, it does not satisfy long term. After drinking this water, you're going to have to come back later on because you're going to be thirsty again. And Jesus says, the water that I'm talking about, it satisfies. Does it quench your thirst for an hour and then you have to come back? It brings satisfaction long term. The water Jesus is talking about here is a spiritual water and the thirst, a spiritual thirst. But we know in reading this text, the woman's still not catching on, is she? And this happened a lot during Jesus' earthly ministry. A lot of people took him literally and they kind of missed what he was saying. Remember Nicodemus in John 3? Jesus is saying you have to be born again. Nicodemus is like, how does that work? You know? How can a man be born again when he's old? Remember in John 6? 
Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood, you can't have any part with me. And they're like, what in the world is he talking about? And they exited the scene. And this woman here, she's confused. She thinks Jesus is speaking more literally here, but he's not. He's speaking figuratively, and he has spiritual implications here in what he's saying. And Jesus knows this. He knows there's a disconnect here. So what does he do? Does he just kind of move on? No. He further explains to her what he's talking about. He knows he has to equip this woman before she can come to salvation, before she can come to worship the one true God. For her to drink the water Jesus is talking about, he has to equip her to drink. And we have to be equipped too, don't we? Here's the thing, like I said time and time again in our, sur- sur- our series through the book of Ecclesiastes, like the woman at the well, we all have this deep longing and this deep satisfaction, uh, this deep desire to have satisfaction long term, don't we? We want happiness that lasts. But the issue is this, we don't know how to be happy long term. We don't know how to have satisfaction long term. And one of the main reasons that I went through that book is to equip you to know how to experience lasting satisfaction. And remember we talked about time and time again that true lasting satisfaction is not found under the sun in the things of this life, but they're found in a relationship with God and in a life lived for Him. So we have to be equipped as well, don't we? To experience this lasting satisfaction. And that is what Jesus is doing here with this woman at the well. He's equipping her appropriately. So to worship God correctly, we have to first be equipped appropriately, and that's what Jesus goes on to do in the rest of the story with uh, this woman here. Here's the second principle. To worship God correctly, we need to know ourselves thoroughly. If we're going to worship God in the right way, in a way that, that honors Him, we have to know ourselves thoroughly. There are a couple of key truths from God's Word that we must know about ourselves in order to worship God in the right way, in a God-honoring way. Here's the first one. First, we have to realize we are valued and loved by God. I want you to realize something here in this story. It is not a coincidence that Jesus and this woman at the well are having this encounter, is it? I hope you see that. It's not a coincidence that she's there by herself at noon. And it's not a coincidence that Jesus is there without his disciples and is speaking to her. It's not a coincidence that this woman is from Samaria. And it's not a coincidence that this woman is an adulterer. Something extremely significant is taking place here at the well. Of all the people Jesus could have sat with and revealed himself to in that day, on that day, he chose this adulterous Samaritan woman. Now, what is John trying to tell us here by placing this story in his gospel? Here's what he's saying. God has a heart for all people. 
He values all people, especially this adulterous Samaritan woman. God wants to be known by her. He wants to be worshipped by her. He values and loves her. And the same is true of us. So if we're going to worship God, it's essential that we have this view of ourselves. It's important that we know that we are valued and loved by God. It's important that we know that God wants us to know Him. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to live for Him. It's very important that we get this down to worship God correctly. Now, the second truth we need to know about ourselves is a little more sobering. We have all sinned against God. If we're going to worship God in the right way, in a way that honors Him, You and I have to understand that we are sinners before a holy God. Look at verses 16 through 19. Jesus said to the woman, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right. You're right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you're now with, the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus shows here he's more than just some random somebody, doesn't he? By showing that he knows this woman from Samaria inside and out. He says to her, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't. You've had five in your past and the man you're presently with is not your husband. And, and a little is lost in the translation here, but in the original language, what Jesus is insinuating here is this woman is living with another, another woman's husband. She's an adulterer. Now put yourself in this woman's shoes. Just casually having a conversation with the man about water. And then he exposes your deepest, darkest secret. He exposes her checkered past, her dark history, and the woman, once again, is shocked by Jesus' statement. But I want you to notice what Jesus does. Jesus exposes that sin, but he doesn't go on to continually condemn her and condemn her over and over again, just saying, you lousy sinner, what what are you thinking being with someone else's husband? He doesn't have to, does he? She knows she's guilty. And now she knows that he knows it. That's why she says, you're a prophet. The reality of sin, my sin and your sin, the sin in our lives and the sin in our world, get this, it's one of the most obvious and provable doctrines in all the Bible. It is. You know, there are a lot of teachings found in Scripture and some of them are more easy to to make a defense for than others, but I believe none are easier to prove than this one. The reality of sin. All you have to do is turn on your TV, watch the news, go out to a restaurant, go out to a park. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find sinners and you're going to find sinful behavior. Sin is everywhere. Scripture is clear that our Lives are so tainted and so marred by sin that we're not even able to truly see how sinful we really are. I had so much sin in my life and you and yours. 
And not just in our actions, but in our thoughts. And not just in our thoughts, but, but in our attitudes and motivations for why we do the things that we do. Even when we're doing the greatest of things, you know what happens? Pride rears its ugly head, doesn't it, at times? I mean, we sin when we do the greatest of things. It's not a pretty picture. We are seriously flawed by sin. Now, why is it important that we understand this? Let's go back to the story, John 4. Jesus is talking to this woman about, about drinking of spiritual water. He's talking to her about salvation. And he knows before she can come to know him, before she can become a worshiper of the one true God, she has to realize her sinfulness and her need of a Savior. He's told her about the living water, but now he's making her thirst for it. He's pointing out the sin in her own life and showing her she's in need. I once heard someone say, God is in the business of, of putting people into holes so deep they cannot possibly get out without his help. That's true. That's what God does. For you to worship God in the right way, for you to honor Him with your life, you have to come to terms with the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You have to take the blindfold off. You have to realize you're in a God-sized hole that only God can pull you out of. So important for us to continually be reminded of this, be reminded of who God is and who we are before Him so that we will depend upon Him for everything. So that we will live lives that are guided and directed by God. So in order for us to worship God in the right way, it's essential that we come to know these two things. We are valued and loved by God, but that we have also sinned against a holy God and are in desperate need of Him. Here's the next point. Number three, to worship God correctly, we need to follow Him continually. Look at verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now, if you're like me, you're reading this and you're like, whoa, 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 has something just changed here? I mean, he's talking about this woman's sin and then she's talking about a place of worship. Well, if, if you came across that, that's the way you felt, that's, that's good. Because let me tell you what this woman's just done. She's done what a lot of us would do. If Christ exposed our sin, she changes the subject. She, she feels as if she is speaking to a man of God here. So what she decides to do is, I know, I'll get, him, I'll get him involved or wrapped up in a theological discussion. That way we can talk about something else besides my checkered past and my current relationship. So she brings up this topic, and this was a good topic to get Jesus talking about or any religious man talking about because it was a, a heated topic during that time. 
Up to this point, the Samaritans believed that, that they believed with all their hearts that the true place of worship where God wanted to be worshipped was in a certain location in Samaria. Imagine that. And what do you think the Jews believed? They felt equally passionate about the fact that God wanted to be worshipped in a temple in Judea. So there was a serious disagreement between Jews and Samaritans on this point. These, these groups, this is one of the reasons why they, they were, had such animosity and hatred toward one another is over this issue of where was the true place to worship. So this woman brings up this very significant debate, I believe, as a smokescreen to hide behind. But you know what? You know what we learn about our Lord? He doesn't allow us to hide behind smoke screens, does he? Notice how he responds. Jesus answers her question here in verse 21. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, this, so, so Jesus answers this woman's question here by stating that she's asked the wrong question. The issue is not where to worship. That's not the issue. The issue is how to worship and who to worship. Jesus goes on to answer these questions here so that this woman can be equipped and, and properly prepared to participate in worship. Jesus tells her that true worshipers, they worship in spirit. That's what he says in verse 24. He says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit. Now, the point that Jesus is trying to make is this. He's trying to show her that God is not bound by space and time. He's not. He's not limited to one place in the world at one time. God is fully present everywhere. There is no place you can go and not be in the full presence of God because God is spirit. And because he's everywhere, get this, this is key. He rightfully demands to be worshipped everywhere, all the time, everywhere, anywhere you go. He wanted this woman at the well to realize, you're not just worshipping God when you step in that temple. You're not just in his presence there. You're in his presence when you go home. Because God is present everywhere. He is everywhere and he demands worship from everyone, everywhere, all the time. Day in, day out. Week in, week out. You're not just worshiping. You're not just supposed to be worshiping when you sit in these chairs here in this building. It's when you leave this place. It's when you go to your jobs. It's when you're in your car. It's when you're at work and when you're at home. When you're all alone by yourself, our lives are, are really supposed to be one big worship service before the Lord. This woman had to get equipped with this truth. And you know what? We need to be equipped with it as well, don't we? We need to realize that this is what God wants from us. 
You know what? We do a lot of prep here on Sunday morning to prepare Sunday after Sunday. We do. We, we put together PowerPoints, song lists. We do sound checks, our band rehearses. At times we put together videos. But get this, all of that is secondary. It is. The primary preparation that needs to be made is by me and by you, by all of us. Monday through Saturday. Our preparation is what we're doing during the week before we enter into this place. That's key. That is to be our number one concern. We can have the song list. We can have the perfect balance of sound and a well-delivered sermon. And if our hearts aren't right, if what takes place in here on Sunday morning is not an overflow of a week's worth of worship, big deal. Worship done right flows from a, a consistent and a continual walk with God. Now, some of you here this morning, you hear that and you say, now, wait a second. Didn't you tell us at the beginning that coming here on Sunday morning and taking part in Sunday morning service is a vital part of our growth and godliness? Well, if the important question is not where to worship, and if worship is primarily to take place Monday through Saturday, is that statement correct? Do we need to come here on Sunday mornings? Is participating in Sunday morning service necessary? I think you know my answer, right? I wouldn't be standing up here. Of course, my answer is yes, it is. Look at point number four. Here's the reason why. Because to worship God correctly, we need to be equipped corporately. Look again at John 4.24. Jesus says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus makes the point here that God's people have to be equipped in truth in order to worship God properly. Look at verse 22 again. Notice how politically incorrect Jesus is with this statement. You worship what you do not know. That wouldn't go over well in our society, would it? We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Imagine Jesus saying that to someone today. The way you worship is not right. How would people respond if you said that to someone? Who are you to tell me that my worship is not right? I mean, when I worship, it feels like worship. I feel good. I get, I get goosebumps. I get teary-eyed. It feels right to me, so who are you to question my experience? And oftentimes we treat worship in that way, don't we? We do. We truly think that we're worshiping God just based upon the way that we feel, and we let that guide and, and, and direct us. But Jesus is saying here in verse 22 that if your worship is not based on truth, it's not genuine worship. This is so important. I've met many religious and sincere and, and very religious people who uh, have claimed to have the inside track on who God is. People who claim to be true worshipers of God, but after having a conversation with them, 
I soon realized that their view of God and their view of, of, of worship is unbiblical. They fall into this category that Jesus describes in verse 22. Though they are sincere, they worship what they do not know. And their worship is not true worship. It's so very important that we get equipped to worship God. Our worship has to be based on truth. Take you back to the sermon in Ecclesiastes on worship, Ecclesiastes 5. You remember what Solomon said in verses 1 through 3? To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Several times in this passage, Solomon talks about the importance of worshiping God by being attentive. He talks about true, authentic worship. It takes place when our hearts are open and our mouths are closed. Why? Because true worship, genuine worship, is based on the truth of God's Word. Many think worshiping is all about me singing praises to God. Worship is just all about what I say to God and about Him. Not according to the Word of God. True God-honoring worship takes place when our hearts are open and our mouths are closed. Worship is just as much about what God has to say to us as it is about what we say to God. There are many of you in here this morning who are worshiping God right now. You are. You know why? Because you're being attentive. You're listening to the word of God. Your heart is open, ready to receive the word and apply it. That's worship. Worship is to be based on truth. So do you see why it's important to take part in what we have going on here on Sunday mornings? This is the place where you get equipped to worship God properly in the right way, in a God-honoring way. Let me say this to, uh, to end this morning. I hope you see this morning that what we do here on Sunday morning is a vital part of your growth in godliness. My prayer for you is that you would come to value this time, that you would see this worship service as beneficial to you and a beneficial part of your, your spiritual life, and that you would commit yourself to come here on a regular basis with hearts open, to receive God's word so that you can be better equipped to worship him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like the woman at the well. Maybe you're here and you've sought all kinds of ways to be satisfied in this life, but you've come up empty time and time again. Listen, Jesus invites us through his word to drink of the living water to come to him and satisfy this thirst that we have for happiness, for purpose, for fulfillment, and for joy. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come to me and find rest for your souls. If you're restless this morning, if you have a thirst for satisfaction and happiness long term, I invite you to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he and he alone is able to grant lasting satisfaction to a restless and thirsty soul. Would you pray with me?